we've been looking at Nehemiah, we've been talking a lot about burdens, the idea that, that God puts a burden on our heart, either for a person or for a situation or for a problem or, or something that's going on in the world or in your community or in your family. Uh, God, God puts burdens in our hearts. And if God has given us a burden for something, then guess what? He intends for us to do something about it. Who better to do something about the burden that God has put on our own hearts than us? It's not something that God puts on our hearts so we can go share with somebody else and then give it to them to carry out. God gives it to us. And if God gives us a burden, he intends for us to lead. And that makes us what? A leader. But people will say, well, wait a minute. I don't want to be a leader. I just want to have burdens. I want somebody else to lead. But again, it goes back to if God's given you the burden, then who better who better to lead than you? Now, the size of your burden doesn't matter. It could be some great cause in the world. Or it can be something down the street from where you live. But God intends for you to lead it. Now, a lot of us are frightened by that. Some of us are intimidated by the fact. But look, if God put the burden on your heart, that also means that God has a vested interest and seeing something happen. And if God has put it there and God is in it, then God is going to give you what you need to accomplish the task that's before you. God's not going to leave you alone. Nehemiah has reminded us as we've looked at, at his story. As it tells us in Nehemiah 2.20 that the God of heaven will give us success. God is in it. God is on your side. God is going to give you what you need in that situation. To accomplish the task that he's given you related to the burden that he's put on your heart. Now, many people shy away from leadership or many people leave leadership because they're afraid of opposition. Either they're afraid of it or they're tired of it, one or the other. Maybe you're one of those people. Maybe you've been in a leadership position before and you just got tired of all the opposition, so you just gave it up. Or maybe you've never been in a leadership position and you've seen people, though, in leadership position and all the opposition they have, and you say, I, I, I don't want to be any part of that. Well, Nehemiah took the lead and Nehemiah faced opposition. And what we want to learn today is not just how did Nehemiah deal with the opposition, but also how can we prosper in the midst of opposition as we do something about the burden that God has put on our heart. Nehemiah took the lead. Nehemiah traveled to Jerusalem. Nehemiah assessed the situation. He recruited helpers. He made assignments and the work on rebuilding the wall, his burden, the work began in Jerusalem. But as we saw last week, and Stephen Cole reminds us, anytime God's people say, let's arise and build, the enemy will say, let's arise and stop them. What we're going to do today is we're going to look at Nehemiah chapter 4. And, and normally, I, I don't do this, but I'm going to read the whole chapter to you in one big, big long reading. Now, there's a, there's a purpose for that. Because I want you to get the whole story in your mind. And then what we're going to do is, then we're going to come back and we're going to look at specific parts in that story. And see what we can learn from Nehemiah. In fact, there are four things we're going to learn from him today. Four things that we need to deal with opposition. When it comes into our lives. 
So Nehemiah chapter 4. When Sanballat heard that we were rebuilding the wall, he became angry and was greatly incensed. He ridiculed the Jews. And in the presence of his associates in the army of Samaria, he said, What are these feeble Jews doing? Will they restore the wall? Will they offer sacrifices? Will they finish in a day? Can they bring the stones back to life from those heaps of rubble, burned as they are? Tobiah the Ammonite, who was at his side, said, What are they building? Even a fox climbing up on it would break down their wall of stones. And here's what Nehemiah says. Hear us, O God, for we are despised. Turn their insults back on their own heads. Give them over as plunder in a land of captivity. Do not cover up their guilt or blot out their sins from your sight, for they have thrown insults in the face of the builders. So we rebuilt the wall till all of it reached half its height, for the people worked with all their heart. But when Sanballat, Tobiah, the Arabs, the Ammonites, and the people of Ashdod heard that the repairs of Jerusalem's walls had gone ahead and that the gaps were being closed, they were very angry. They all plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem and stir up trouble against it. But we prayed to our God and posted a guard day and night to meet this threat. Meanwhile, the people of Judah said, The strength of the laborers is giving out. And there's so much rubble that we cannot rebuild the wall. Also, our enemies said, before they know it or see us, we'll be right there among them and we'll kill them and put an end to the work. Then the Jews who lived near them came and told us ten times over, wherever you turn, they will attack us. Therefore, I stationed some of the people behind the lowest points of the wall at the exposed places, posting them by families with their swords, spears, and bows. After I looked things over, I stood up and said to the nobles and the officials and the rest of the people, Don't be afraid of them. Remember the Lord, who is great and awesome, and fight for your families, your sons, and your daughters, your wives, and your homes. When our enemies heard that we were aware of their plot and that God had frustrated it, we all returned to the wall, each to his own work. From that day on, half of my men did the work, while the other half were equipped with spears, shields, bows, and armor. The officers posted themselves behind the people of Judah who were, rebuild, who were building the wall. Those who carried materials did their work with one hand and held a weapon in the other. And each of the builders wore his sword at his side as he worked. But the man who sounded the trumpet stayed with me. Then I said to the nobles, the officials, and the rest of the people, the work is extensive and spread out, and we are widely separated from each other along the wall. Whenever, wherever you hear the sound of the trumpet. Join us there. Our God will fight for us. So we continued the work with half the men holding spears 
from the first light of dawn till the stars came out. At that time, I also said to the people, have every man and his helper stay inside Jerusalem at night so they can serve us as guards by night and as workers by day. Neither I nor my brothers nor my men nor the guards with me took off their clothes. Each had his weapon, even when he went for water. It's a great story. Nehemiah, as we saw last week, had begun to face some opposition from some of the neighbors. And the way he dealt with it was pretty direct. But as we find out, not just in this story, but as we know in our own lives, we can deal with opposition, but that doesn't mean it's just going to go away. Sometimes it intensifies, and sometimes it gets worse, and sometimes it brings to us new challenges. But what we want to do today is we want to look at four things that Nehemiah teaches us. There are four needs that we have to have, four things that we have to have if we are really going to stand up to opposition. The first one is that we need a mind to work in spite of ridicule. <clears throat> Nehemiah verse, uh, chapter 4, verse 6 says, So we rebuilt the wall till all of it reached half its height, for the people worked with all their heart. Other translation says that they had a mind to work. These people had a mind to work. They wanted to work. But here's what happens. It says Nehemiah prayed. Ne Nehemiah didn't allow himself to get sidetracked and distracted from the work that was before him by the insults that were being thrown at him. Nehemiah prayed an interesting prayer. Nehemiah prayed that God would deal with his people in his own way, in his own time. And it's an interesting prayer because for those of us who know the words of Jesus, and where Jesus says we should pray for our enemies and we should love them, uh, this prayer from Nehemiah can sound rather harsh. But, but Nehemiah is essentially saying that, God, you, you need to deal with them in your way and in your time. We be, need to be like Nehemiah. When we pray, we need to leave things with God. But we can do that if we have a mind to work. You see, what happened is Nehemiah brought it to God. And then he went back to work. He went back to work. You see, when it comes to ridicule, people can say things that hurt us. But you know what? They can't harm us unless we let them get in our system unless we allow them to come in and really do damage to us. People can say lots of things, but it's up to us whether or not we allow them to come in. Here's what Nehemiah's enemies did. They ridiculed the workers. They said, hey, you feeble Jews, you don't have any power, you're helpless. And they ridiculed their hope to protect themselves. Look, it won't do any good. And they ridiculed their faith. You're going to need more than, than your God to rebuild this wall. And he ridiculed the materials. You guys are using inferior materials. You're using those old burned and cracked stones. And then Tobiah even chimes in and he says, look, what you're building is so flimsy, even if a fox crawls up on it, it's going to fall down. Nehemiah didn't have any trouble identifying his enemies. But one of the things that he did, and one of the things that we have to understand, 
is the tactics of our enemy. It's pretty easy to pick out those who are our enemies, those who ridicule us, those who try to tell us that we are are worthless, that our work is going to be in vain. But we need to also realize their tactics. Now, you can say the source of of, uh, the ridicule that comes really originates in one place. If you're doing God's work, Satan is the source. Now, Satan will use all kinds of different ways. Satan will, will whisper in your ear. You've heard that. But Satan will also work through other people who ridicule you. And Satan will also work in the world, in just the general attitude of the, wor- the world toward the things of the faith. And we see that more and more and more and more every day. But, but Satan's at work. Satan's at work. And we need to realize his tactics. Because what he'll do is, Satan will try to convince you that you're feeble and powerless. You don't have any power. You don't have any business doing this. You don't have the the ability to do this. What do you think you're doing? What makes you think you can lead this? What makes you think you can make a difference? You don't have any power. Satan will also tell you you're wasting your time. Why waste your time? Why waste your time with those people? You're not going to change anything. You're not going to make any difference. Why waste your time working for the church? It's not going to go anywhere. Satan will also question your God. Are you sure God's really going to protect you? How can you know? How can you know you're not just going to get out there and and get busy and, and God's just going to leave you out there all by yourself? It'll cause you to look at your own strength. It's going to need more than God to get this done. Satan will also cause you to second guess yourself. Can I really do this? Is this really my calling? It also causes you sometimes to lose your own worth. Like, you know, maybe I really am worthless. Maybe I really can't do this. Those are all things, just like the enemies of Nehemiah, that Satan throws at us. He will question our ability. He will question us personally. He will question our character. He will, inc- he will question our purpose. And he will even question our faith. Satan is not going to sit idly by while we do the work of God. He's not. So, we shouldn't be surprised. But to paraphrase Warren Wearsby, basically, if we spend time pondering the enemy's words, then what we do is we give Satan a foothold so that he can launch attacks in other areas of our lives. And that the best thing that we can do is to pray and commit the whole thing to God and then get back to work. Get back to work. The people had a mind to work. They didn't focus on the words. Nehemiah didn't focus on the words. He focused on the work. And anything that keeps you from doing the work is a victory for the enemy. If the enemy can intimidate you, then the enemy has a victory. We need to keep working. Real simple formula. Pray. Leave it with God. And then get back to work. Get back to work. Which leads us to the second thing you need. 
We've already talked about Nehemiah's prayer, but the second thing you need is, is, is a heart to pray. And I'll tell you why I listed this as a separate thing. Certainly, Nehemiah prayed, and then the people had the, the mind to work. But, but Nehemiah, in this prayer, in verse 9, he says, But we prayed to our God and posted a guard day and night to meet this threat. What Nehemiah does here is he calls the people to pray. We've read about Nehemiah's prayers, but Nehemiah calls the people to pray. Look, on paper, on paper, they're no match for a military attack. They're not. They have the Samaritans to the north. They have the Ammonites to the east. They have the Arabs to the south and the Philistines to the west. They are surrounded by armies and by people who are much stronger than they are. What Nehemiah realizes is that there is power when people pray together. A lot of times when you are facing opposition, you feel like you're alone. You have to face it alone. Nehemiah makes the point here that, look, we all need to pray. We all need to pray for one another. There is power when we pray together. There are situations you shouldn't be dealing with on your own. You should call other people to pray with you. The church shouldn't expect people to be out there on their own. We should all come together and pray for them. You're not meant to fight this battle by yourself. That's why here at church we have a prayer ministry. We have a ministry dedicated to prayer because it's important for all of us to pray for one another. That's why we have a prayer chain. If you're going through a difficult time in your life, there's a number you can call and and people will pray for you. They will join you in prayer. That's why we have an opportunity for you to submit prayer concerns, either on a connection card Or through our website. So that other people can pray with and for you. That's why we take time to pray in worship. That's why our life groups take time to pray. Because there is strength and there is power when we pray together. Again, the battle is not meant to be fought alone. We all get tired. We all get frustrated. But we need to pray for one another. And with one another, there's strength there. When opposing forces gang up on you, then you need to gang up on them in prayer. When you feel surrounded, let your brothers and sisters surround you with prayer. The third thing that we learn from Nehemiah that we need is an eye to watch. Again, verse 9 of chapter 4. It says, But we prayed to our God and posted a guard day and night to meet the threat. Prayer is certainly important. But so is posting a guard. Jesus called it watching. In the garden, he said to his disciples that, that they should watch and pray. So, You pray for strength. You trust God for that strength. But then you post a guard. Or you watch your heart 
or, or you become spiritually alert, or you have a sense of spiritual readiness, whatever you want to call it, that's what posting a guard means when it comes to dealing with opposition. You need to pray, but then you need to be diligent about doing things that will guard your heart against attack. Now, while some of us may fear physical attacks, and I'm not saying that those don't happen, it's the spiritual ones that come at us all the time and every day. So how do you post a guard? How do you post a guard for your heart? Well, one way is you study and absorb the truth that's found in the Word of God. It is essential that you study God's Word. It is essential that you study God's Word. It will guard your heart. You need to get involved in a life group. In a life group, you have people who will not only study God's Word with you, but will stand with you. Maybe you need an accountability partner. Maybe you need someone because you know your heart is prone to wonder. Maybe you need someone to share your life with. Or we have Right Now Media. I don't know, some of you may not know what that is. Uh, We have a a wonderful video source uh, online. It's called Right Now. It's free to anybody uh, who wants it. You can find out how to do that on our website. But, but there are hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds uh, of videos in, in all different categories to help you in your life, to help you to guard your heart. You see, when you immerse yourself in God's Word, when you study God's Word, when you seek to grow in God's Word, when you seek to, to know it better and to live it, when you have people who, who come around you, that, that's, that's how you post a guard at your heart. And it's essential that you do that in the face of opposition. And the fourth thing, Nehemiah says that that we need an ear to hear. Nehemiah verse 20 of chapter 4. says, Whenever you hear the sound of the trumpet, join us there. Our God will fight for us. This is a sound, this is a call to defend each other. The trumpet sound was a call for help. And, and, and Nehemiah says, when, when there is the call for help, <clears throat> then everybody, wherever you are, come to wherever the trumpet is. You need to have an ear to hear. I, I talked about how we are, are in this together. But we also need to stand with one another. When one of us is in need, when one of us is facing opposition, when one of us is facing attack, we need to rally around those people. Our tendency a lot of times is to ostracize them or ignore them or not want to get involved. And so we don't really hear their cries or maybe we hear them and we're just, our hearts maybe have become just so hard to it that, that we don't even hear it, really. But Nehemiah's point is, look, To face opposition, you need to rally around one another. It's so important in the church. We have people in the church who are attacked spiritually every day. We have people who are not just attacked, but we have people who fall every day. We need to listen to those cries for help. And maybe not only do we need to listen and and gather around and support those people, 
But maybe we need to listen carefully because maybe there were little trumpet sounds that would have signaled that something was wrong. And maybe we could have done something about it beforehand. We need an ear to hear those cries. But we also need to come to the aid of those who are under attack. It's easy to point fingers. It's easy to say, I told you so. It's easy to say, I saw that coming. Which is my favorite, because if you saw it coming, why didn't you try to do something about it? Or I knew that happened to them. Again, if you knew it, why weren't you doing something? Folks, if we are going to be successful as a church, as a family of God, as believers in this world that hurls things at us every single day, a world that puts temptations up in front of us every single day, a world in which all of us fight a spiritual battle every single day, if we are going to be successful, we have to gather around each other, support each other, take care of our wounded, stop shooting them. That's the message for us. When you hear the trumpet, it's a call for help. Respond to the call for help. Nehemiah has shown us today that, that certainly we need to have a mind to work in spite of what's going on around us. We need to have a heart to pray. We also need to be a people, though, that gather around one another and support one another to lift each other up. You'll be amazed at not only the difference it will make in how you face opposition, but you'll be amazed at how it affects the mission and the ministry of this church if you'll do that. Let's pray.